Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is Jennifer Klein, or Miss DeWalt on Instagram and TikTok. She's an artist, woodworker, and influencer in the arts, makers, and trades communities. Not only is she a famous DIYer, but she's also a flag maker, which I'd love to hear more about. Jennifer is also a representative slash influencer for DeWalt Tools. And it's so cool that a tool company is interested in having a female influencer to spread the word about working with tools. So I would love to hear more about that. She's also a mom teaching her own kids all of the DIY stuff she teaches to the rest of the world, I assume. So welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Jennifer. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Emily. And I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. How old are your kids now? My daughter is 25 and my son is 17. Oh, okay. So are, now are they DIYers also? Well, my daughter a little bit. She has tried her hand at putting some furniture together that comes like from, you know, Ikea or wherever. And she was really proud of herself for that. But my son is in, he's a senior this year in the vocational school for carpentry. So he is following in my footsteps. Oh, that's great. Okay. So first let's back up a little bit. I guess we can hear a little bit more about your kids later because I would love to hear about what you're passing on to the next generation. But can you tell us your story? How did you get involved with all of the work that you're doing? Have you always been super crafty and interested in building? Or is this something that came to you later? It's something that I never thought I would be doing. And actually, it is unfortunately through a tragedy that I'm in this line of work because I'm a paralegal by training. And 13 years ago, my husband, who was a maintenance man at Kent State, left for work and was killed on his way to work. I've always been creative, but I was never handy with tools. We have an 1818 farmhouse that we had been fixing up, but I was more a person to pick out the paint colors and to come lend a hand if he needed somebody to hold something. But then I just stayed out of the way. But being that he was so handy, I never had a reason to try to do anything around the home because, of course, he would do that. So it wasn't until his passing that I was kind of thrust into this position. Suddenly, I found myself with this old house that needed constant repairs and things were always breaking. And I made the conscious decision to pick up his tools and to teach myself, I did not want to have to rely on other people the rest of my life. And so that's actually where my journey with the tools began. I want to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's such a sad story, Jennifer. And I'm just, my heart's broken to hear that. Thank you. But I love that you picked up the tools and took this huge undertaking on yourself. Can you tell me about the farmhouse? I love old farmhouses. Well, it's actually, if you go on YouTube, it is my sort of an introduction story because a lot of people don't know how all of this came to be. The farm house has been in his family for at least a hundred years. It was passed down to him from his great grandma. And so when he passed away, although it was sort of in disrepair, <laughs> it was in real pretty poor shape. And a lot of people close to me said, Jen, just tear it down 
they thought it was going to be too much for me to take care of. They said, just tear it down and start over, build yourself a new house. And I couldn't do that. I love old things. I appreciate antiques. I love old homes. And we had already, by that point, fixed up enough rooms together that it went against my grain. And I said, no, (laughs) I didn't follow anybody's advice. I did the complete opposite. I hired an architect and told him my ideas. And then I went about hiring each tradesperson to do a complete renovation of my home. And when I say that, I jokingly say that this is my new old home because I jacked up the house, had a mason do a new foundation, new septic, new electric. We added on basically a house to a house. So the part I'm sitting in now is a full basement with, I don't know, these ceilings are probably about eight or 10 feet high. But the other part right next to me is very shallow to where when I go in, I have to kind of duck. So there's a a new house built onto an old house. So I completely renovated everything. I did things that no rational person (laughs) probably would do. But now when people drive down the street, they look at my house and go, oh, that's like a really beautiful house, but they don't know the history behind it backstory of the history. Like, was it a farmhouse? Were your husband's ancestors farmers? They were. It's funny. Their last name was Carpenter. I just find that kind of a strange coincidence. Hey, in the DNA. They were farmers at one point. The home originally, when you go back far in the history, when the company came in, the land company that came in and bought the lots, they sold the land to the people that they had stipulations. They had to farm, I believe it was five acres. I think they gave them five years. They had to farm five acres. They had to build a dwelling. So there's, we believe there was a log cabin originally built here to just kind of give the residents a place to live. And then they added on and built the big house in 1818. And I do have some photos that are very old to where there's a woman like pumping water from a well and an urn, which is still in existence. I don't use it to hold water, but it is still there. Yeah, the history, it goes way back. And I do have some photos. And when we do renovations, it's neat because I just ripped into the last room. I did hire a contractor because it was a huge job, but we worked together on some parts of it. We ripped into what was my old kitchen. And there were newspapers in the wall that we found from 44, I think they were, but it was all wartime. It was really neat. It was like opening a time capsule. That is, that is so interesting. And when you were growing up, did you grow up in an old house also? No, it was, well, what a lot of people maybe would consider an old house. I think my home that I lived in, uh, our childhood home was maybe like 1950s. So more modern, a little bit more modern. Yeah. For today's stand, you know, what people would consider an old home is like, yeah. So I had a dad who was a welder. So he was a tradesman. My mom was a nurse, but my dad was the type that didn't like, he would love to be in his garage working on cars, but he hated doing anything that had to do with home improvement. So all of my skills that I've learned were actually went when my husband passed away. So you didn't grow up with these things, but then when your husband passed away, it must've been sort of like a mission for you to continue his work. Was that sort of how it was for you? Yeah, it absolutely was. And I think looking back now, we have a large garage that's not attached to the house. In Ohio, it's called a pool barn, but a lot of people in other states don't know what a pool barn is. But that was my husband's hangout. That was his man cave. And so I think that a lot of it for me now looking back was me not only 
learning the skills and picking up the slack and stepping into his shoes. But a lot of it was probably me feeling comforted being in his space. And fulfilling maybe a mission that he had, like he wanted to finish this house. So you took it upon yourself to make that happen. Absolutely. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask you, because let's talk about, you did all of this yourself and you figured you learned all these I guess I want to hear a little bit about how you learned it. Like you taught, you said you taught yourself. Did you like look up YouTube videos? Did you go to friends? How did you do it? I'm a stubborn Italian. (laughs) (laughs) You know, most people probably would go to YouTube. I guess I probably did a couple times maybe go to YouTube, but everything was basically trial and error. I like to figure things out for myself. And so a lot of things were just winging it and going, oh, I how this works and just, yeah, I probably should have looked at YouTube because I put things out on YouTube. So I don't know why I'm not even following my own advice, but a lot of things were just, Hey, let me pick it up and figure it out on my own. Yeah. And you never got hurt. You didn't, no injuries. Knock on wood. I mean, I've had liner. I mean, there was one time I was building a flag and I was tired, but I had a deadline. It was a flag that was going to a fundraiser. And I had worked all day at the prosecutor's office and I'd come home. I was trying to put this flag together and I know I was tired and I've learned when to just say walk away because things don't go well when you're tired and you push yourself. But I was trying to hurry up and build this flag and I was drilling and the drill bit slipped and it went through my thumb and it actually, it the nail doesn't grow back right. And it's still like the tip of it is still numb. And this was a couple years ago. So knock on wood, I've had minor accidents like that. But nothing, you know, by the grace of God, I still have all my fingers and yeah, nothing major. And I'm hoping to never. Okay, good. let's keep it that way, please. Do you ever look at like a little injury as a badge of honor? Because when I, when, oh, I was yeah. Learning, yeah, when I was learning shoemaking, I remember after like a three day, just intensive shoemaking session, I looked at my finger and I had a huge blood blister and I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, if you look at my hand right now, I have a, yeah. So I do have on my thumb, I have a scar where I think my drill again or something slipped and it was a really pretty bad one. So I still have a scar from that. I have on my other thumb for my tape measure, which I love, but it has such a recoil that it bit me. So on the other, so both of my thumbs have scars. And right now on my hand, I have a, I smashed this finger and it still has like a blood, whatever, growing out. I was repairing steps and I don't mean to flip you off, but then I did did flooring a couple weeks ago. So I have like a blood blister here. And also I smashed this finger. And every time you hit yourself with a hammer, you're like, oh, that was dumb. I'll never do that again. But I know you just, it happens. So yeah. (laughs) I think a lot of makers and tradeswomen can relate to that. Yeah have pretty hands. And I just kind of know that like my nails are short on purpose because I can't, I don't like long fingernails on me. It's just cool. And yeah, I just know that I'll never have pretty hands and that my legs will probably always constantly have bruises, but I'm like, Oh, what? It's just par for the course. Exactly. So, okay. Well, can we talk about your, well, you mentioned that you were making flags and you had injured yeah. yourself on making a flag. Yeah. What is that project? You're making flags for charity. Uh, can you tell us what that's for? It began because I'm no longer a paralegal. That's a story in and of itself. But at the time I was working with the grand jury. And so every, almost every witness that was coming in during that time was a police officer. 
So I got to know the police officers in Summit County. They're like family even to this day to me. So one of my best friends at work is a police officer. And he had asked me because he was seeing the things I was putting out on Facebook. And he said, you're really handy. I would like a thin blue line flag. Would you build one for me? So again, with this stubbornness or liking to figure things out on my own, I didn't go and research and say, how big should the dimensions be? You know, how wide should the boards? Nothing. I just decided I was going to take laminate flooring that I found on clearance at Lowe's. And I ripped the boards, cut them into lengths, and I built this flag for him. And it looked good initially. And then I took a picture of it. And for some reason, through the eyes of a lens, I realized it was a little bit out of proportion. So I told my friend, Ben, I said, that was a trial run. I'm going to make you another one and fix my mistakes. And then I kind of thought, well, what am I going to do with this one, this first one? You know, I have it. So I got the idea to take it into work and have all of the officers coming in to testify, sign the board. And my rationale was, I'll have all of these signatures and it will make up for my field, which is too small. And it's a good thing. And here's kind of a life lesson I took from that is that even a mistake can turn out to have a wonderful outcome because had it not been for that flag, that's what gave me the exposure. That's why officers started saying, hey, I would like to order a flag from you. And so that became my side hustle is making wooden flags. Oh, okay. So do different departments then come to you and you have like all of the members, they all sign it together and then it's like a signature flag. Can you describe it to us? So sort of. Okay. So the first one I kept in my office. And everybody from, it didn't matter, Sheriff's Department, from Norton, from Barberton, all of the guys and ladies that would come in would sign the troopers, everybody. So my initial original flag had people from all different agencies, the FBI, Fugitive Task Force, all of these people that I admire so much. So my flag is special because it has, I don't know that there's ever going to be anyone in the position to have that many different people coming in. But Some people would see that and say, hey, we have so-and-so retiring from the sheriff's department. I'd like a mini flag for everybody to sign as kind of a a going away present. So there are a few flags that had a lot of signatures on them like that. But my flag is the only one that I know of, of its kind. But then I would have other officers say, hey, I'd like to order a flag, but I want it to be half American and have it bleed into the thin blue line flag. So that's how the different styles came about. And so each style for me to keep my own sanity is named after the police officers that originally asked for that. Like my thin blue line flag is Benjamin. The half and half is Ryan because that's who asked for it. There's another style called Michael and that's different. My firefighter flag, my, you know, all of them, they all have a different name. Do you provide these if people want to order them? People can order them from you? So I'm starting to slowly, I've been doing flags for five years, but if they want to see my work, it is on Instagram under different account. I have my Mr. account that is tools and crafts and projects. And then I do have my flag account, which is blessed are the peacemakers 5.9. But yeah, my work is there. I would like to partner with maybe another company and hand my line off because it's been five years and I'm starting to get burned out on that and other opportunities are coming my way and I can't do everything well. So I'm starting to kind of wean off those orders. Oh, okay. That seems like it would be a great opportunity for a company to pick up on. So if anybody's listening (laughs) and interested in this. That I have a really good concept 
And I spoke to them preliminarily and I'd like to kind of finalize something and get that going. But I always knew I'd know when it was time and when I no longer feel, because I put so much heart into them. I write scriptures and just good, you know, positive messages inside the boards that the people will never see, but I know they're there. So I really pour my heart into each one and it's getting to be, I hate to say it, but it's time for me to move on. Well, you know, when it's time and maybe there's other things on the horizon that you need to be focusing on. Well, let's talk about your YouTube channel. How many followers do you have on YouTube and also TikTok? How many followers do you have on TikTok? So TikTok, I think is about 251,000 and then (laughs) it's close to 6,000. I thought so. I thought it was something pretty huge like that. That's awesome. And you have all these different projects that you, you do videos that you make yourself of yourself doing these projects and explaining them to people and everyone loves it because it's not only entertaining, but educational. But some of the ones I really like that I saw the projects that you're working on turning a corn crib into a gazebo, (laughs) the donut tire swing. That one, I definitely want to work on that one with my daughter because she's obsessed with donuts and she's always wanted to swing. When I saw that, I was like, that is perfect for her. Thank you. And then what you call the Cinderella story couch makeover. And that one really caught my attention because I am a big shabby chic fan. (laughs) So the style of this, can you talk about that project and how that came about? Yeah, that is also a lot of my projects. I kind of get a life lesson when I look back at it. And that's something I never expected when I started doing these videos. But that just in a nutshell, I was taking my son to school that day. They had like testing that made their start time because normally he would ride the bus. So I'm taking him to school. Normally, I'm not on that road, you know, going that way at that time. I feel like it was meant to be. So it happened to be trash night in that neighborhood. And I drove by this old house that had a Victorian couch that was in terrible condition and this Victorian chair also. Both of them looked like they were maybe in somebody's attic for years. They had it out to the curb. And let me tell you what I saw. And I was like, I am going back for that couch. So I could not get to the school and fling him out of the car fast enough to get back. My mind, I'm thinking, I have to get back there before somebody else grabs that couch. In reality, it was like a wire frame. I mean, there was barely anything to it. (laughs) Hardly anything. Oh, yeah. Most of the upholstery had deteriorated. So like the bottom of it was nothing but a bunch of springs. It could have been infested with mice for all I know. So that's the funny part is like, nobody wanted that couch, but in my mind, a diamond in the rough and I had to get back before anybody else picked it up. So I get back, I shove this thing in my car. I don't know how I even loaded it. It wasn't heavy, but it was awkward. So I get it in my car and I'm like, oh, yay, I got it. And then I bring it home and then it sat for a couple months because I had no clue what I was going to do with it. And I don't know how to upholster furniture. And really to do something like that, it would be cost prohibitive by the time you bought everything even if I did have those skills. So I'm thinking, and the frame was broken and it was just in really bad shape. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? And then all of the sudden, I don't even remember how I got inspired to fix it in the way that I did, but someday I would like to have a greenhouse. And I thought, I know I will take it and turn it into more of like a plant display. I will put on the back where you would lean, I'll put a shelf and I can display all of my plants that are going to go in this someday greenhouse. So that's what I did. I started tearing it apart and just using materials I had on hand because I didn't want to go out and buy anything. In fact, well, I did. I bought fabric paint. I was initially going to spray the upholstery that was left intact with fabric paint and I hated the color. The color was like an olive 
green and it just, I didn't like it at all. And I thought, well, I just wasted $50 on this expensive fabric paint. And then I thought, well, what do I have around? And I have Walt, just good old fashioned Sherwin-Williams wall paint. So I painted the upholstery in that paint thinking, what do I have to lose? So long story short, that video ended up exploding on TikTok. It has almost 10 million views. 10 million. Wow. And at one point, though, it had all this momentum and the sound, the music got taken off because it went against, it wasn't allowed at that time. Then the music got put back on, on other people's videos. And I kept messaging TikTok, please restore the audio, please restore the audio. I must have sent an email to them. I don't even know how many times. And then finally, one day I looked at it and it had the audio back and I was all excited. Oh, that's great. To me, the life lesson I get from that is I think we all kind of feel like this at a certain point in our life where we're hidden from the rest of the world, hidden and nobody's looking at us or paying attention and we feel like all is lost. And then one day, boom, when it's your time, you get made over and the world gets to see you. Now that leads me to my next (laughs) question for you because you've built this TikTok channel and you built your Instagram And all of a sudden, you went from being a private person to being a very public person. Can you talk a little bit about how fame has affected your life? Do people ever recognize you? Do you ever have ever been recognized out in the street? They do. I actually locally, (laughs) I've gone into stores, so I have to really make sure that I look decent when I go out now (laughs) because people say, "Hey, aren't you Miss Dewalt?" Or like last night, I went to a function that was local. And a couple of people came up and they're like, we really enjoy your videos and we follow you. And they'll talk about specific videos. So locally, I have been recognized. It's flattering. It really is. It's nice to know that my work is being seen and appreciated. And I'm sure like you're just being recognized locally, but I think that would probably happen wherever you went at this point. You could be in California, you could be in Alaska, (laughs) (laughs) you're going to get recognized. So that's, uh, that must have a a little bit of fun to it. Does it ever seem um, almost surreal? Yes, but I feel like I can't shirk away from it because I feel like it's my life's calling. Oh, okay. So it does feel right to you. It does. I know this is what I'm meant to do. That's awesome. And as part of it, part of what you're doing is you're able to promote some really great causes, which of course is like really the main reason we wanted to have you on today because for our audience tradeswomen and women in STEM fields and other traditionally male populated fields, it's so important to us to spread the word and encourage women to get into these fields and to support and help them and empower them. And part of what you're doing is helping to break stereotypes in the tool industry and in the makers industry. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I'm going to back up a little bit. I had won a contest about three or almost four years ago with DeWalt. It was an online Facebook contest, and that's how I became acquainted with them. And following that contest, I started looking around and realizing that none of the major tool brands were using women in their marketing. And that is so true. Yeah. (laughs) It's so important. And I kept, I was baffled as to why. Because in my Instagram maker community, half of the makers are female, half. And then I was looking at these up and coming trades women. And I'm like, there are all of these great examples. Why is the tool industry ignoring us? And that is when I knew that that was part of my life's purpose. I had to do something to change that. And I was very outspoken about it. And I thought, well, I also don't want to tick off the people I'm trying to work with. So I have to be very careful. 
So I just thought I'm going to, you know, the saying, be the change you want to see in the world. And I thought, I'm just going to put myself out there. So I made sure to put myself and my videos out to where I knew people that made those decisions would be. And that's what, what I did. Can you give an example of how, like, how did sure. you? LinkedIn platform that I don't know that a lot of influencers are on, but I knew a lot of the people making the decisions about who is represented were there. So I started you know putting out. That is so smart. So you thought, obviously, like the heads of these companies and the people, the heads of these departments that are making these decisions, the companies aren't necessarily on TikTok. They're not necessarily on Instagram, but of course they're on LinkedIn. And then if you put your work up there and they see it, that's how you get their attention. That's how I did it. That reminds me of a story that I was talking to another guest, Mitzi Perdue, who's Frank Perdue's widow. She did something very similar to that. She had to get an article out. It was in the agriculture business. And she had to get an an article out to convince lawmakers of something. And she realized that they all take certain flights. So she got the airline to put it in the magazine, the airline magazine. And they all read it and it worked. So I think that there's such an important lesson there for women because a lot of times it's hard to get our voices heard. So we have to think of other ways to do it. And yeah, you have to figure out where your audience is, where those people are at, because had it not been for LinkedIn, I would never get a chance to be connected with the chief marketing officer of Stanley Black and Decker or, you know, all these people in key positions. They're my first connections. They are seeing the things and maybe enough of it. They'll go, oh, hey, why aren't we? And so maybe about a year ago, they did start featuring women. That's amazing. So you're Miss DeWalt. So tell us what that means. <laughs> what do you so, do for DeWalt? So sure, I'm actually not sponsored by DeWalt yet. I do okay. have a good relationship with them. I've won the contest. In 2017, they invited me back to that trip that I, you know, so I got to go two years to this trip to Vegas. I've been to a NASCAR race. Recently, they invited me. I just returned from Baltimore. They had an event for influencers. But following that first contest I won, When I returned to work, my officer friends around the courthouse started jokingly calling me Miss DeWalt. So they're like, hey, you're our Miss DeWalt. So ha ha ha, we all had a good laugh. And I thought, you know, we'd like last for a day or two, but they kept calling me that. And then other people kept hearing it. And so then all the officers are calling me that. And it was around that time that I wanted to start my YouTube channel because I really felt that it was important for someone that looks like me to put videos out there. So, you know, like when other ladies want to fix their toilet, they should see another woman that they connect with. So I thought, what am I going to call this channel? And I had other names picked out and none of them sounded right. And I'm like, the only thing that sounds right is Miss DeWalt. And I thought, I'm just going to do it. And if they have a problem with it down the road, then I'll just take it off. But I thought, you know, on Instagram, there are all kind of other men that have adopted the DeWalt name in their handle. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do it. So a lot of times in life, you just have to kind of take the bull by the horns and create your own roles. You don't wait for an audition. And that's what I did. So what's your goal with Miss DeWalt and with all of your channels? You've got such an audience and you've got the attention of the public. So what is your goal and how do you plan to use this to do good? I would love to, well, to do good, I just want to continue to change stereotypes, to change the tool industry, to embrace everyone. To me, it's so clear that they're ignoring half the population in not only the trades, which are a small fragment right now, but just in the, who's your customer right now? Homeowners, DIYers, makers. And then the trades will come over time, I believe. 
by getting these tools in women's hands. So it's my goal to change stereotypes. And also I would love to be sponsored by them and to work with them. I hope that happens. They would be lucky to have you. I've seen how popular you are with our audience and with so many people. Okay, what would be your number one tip for or piece of advice for women who want to learn how to do these things themselves? Maybe they've dabbled in it a little bit, but they really want to learn how to build something or create something themselves. You don't learn until you try and you learn through your mistakes. As you know, you can't get to a certain level without goofing up. So you just kind of know that ahead of time. You just have to, I mean, if it helps to watch videos, absolutely do that. Maybe take a class, maybe work with a mentor, have a friend come over that already has made those mistakes, but you just have to get your hands dirty and just do it. Nice. Just get your hands dirty, right? Yeah, just do it. Jennifer Klein, Mr. Walt, it's at Mr. Walt on Instagram. Is it the same thing on TikTok? Mr. Walt, and then it's at Jennifer.Klein. At Jennifer.Klein. And that's on Instagram and TikTok? Yes. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I love your story. I love that you shared it with us. You know, it means a lot that you're doing so much for women in this community because I think a lot of us feel that we're invisible. You know, a lot of us feel that we're not being paid attention to by the big companies. So for you to come in and say, hey, pay attention to women. Women need these skills too and should be paid attention to by the larger companies. It means a lot to all of us. And we really thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.